0: Welcome to the anointed and transformational teaching ministry of Pastor Wale Kinshiku, Senior Pastor of House of Praise Mississauga, Canada, a parish of the Redeemed Christian Church of God. It is our prayer that as you listen to this message that you will be empowered to achieve your dreams and fulfill your destiny. God bless you as you listen. The joy of the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the foundational event in Christianity. The foundational event in Christianity, the resurrection of Jesus, is the foundational event in Christianity. Jesus came not only to die, which is very important, but also to conquer death. Like I said on Friday, the life of Jesus Christ and his ministry can be divided into seven distinct areas. Okay, his life and ministry, His crucifixion, His death, His burial, His resurrection, ascension, and glorification that is, is sitting in heavenly places. Okay, so today we're looking at the resurrection part. Jesus did not just come to die for our sins. He actually also came to conquer death for you and me. So let's look at some scriptures. Today. We're going to do some readings today. Is that all right, church? Is that all right? People at the back, is that all right? All right. Matthew chapter 27, verse 45 to 50. Then we're going to jump a bit and then jump a bit. So three portions of it we're reading. Matthew 27 from verse 45 to 50. So I'm reading from the NKJV version of the Bible. Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood by when he heard that said, this man is calling for Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink. The rest said, let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to save him. Jesus cried out with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. So that is, he died. Now, let's jump to verse 57. Verse 57. So, when evening had come, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself was also a disciple of Jesus. who had become a disciple of Jesus. Keep going. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be given to him. When Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in, the new, in his new tomb, which he had hung out of the rock, and rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb. Note the word large stone. Against the door of the tomb and departed. Mary Magdalene was there, and the other Mary sitting opposite the tomb. On the next day, which followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered to pilot. This is interesting. Saying, sir, we remember while he was still alive, while he was still alive, not knowing that he is still alive, how that deceivers, see what they were calling Jesus, said, after three days, I will arise. Therefore, command the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people, he has risen from the dead. So the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard. Go your way. Make it as secure as you know how. Verse 66. So they went, made the tomb secure, sealing it with a stone and setting the guard. Now let's jump to Matthew chapter 28, verse 1 to 8. And then I can take it up from there. So after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came just to see the tomb. That's all. The they wanted to do, but behold, there was a great earthquake. An angel of the Lord descended from heaven, came and rolled back the stone from the door, and sat on it. Thank you, Jesus. His countenance was like lightning; his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. Thank you, Lord. But the angel answered and said to the woman, "Do not be afraid." For I know you seek Jesus who was crucified. Hallelujah. He is not here. He is not here. For he is risen, as he has said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. Go quickly and tell the disciples that he is risen from the dead. Indeed, he is going before you into Galilee where you will see him. Behold, I have Told you, verse eight. Church, let's read this together, please. Three, two, one, go. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and ran to bring his disciples word. With great joy, the joy of the resurrection of Jesus. Father, once again we thank you. We honor you. We receive your word with thanksgiving. In Jesus' name. The resurrection, like I said, is the foundational event of our Christian life. So what is the meaning of the resurrection of Jesus? And what are the implications it has for you and I today? Before I get to the resurrection, let me talk quickly about the death of Christ and just tell you two things I just want to remind you that the death of Christ means for us. Number one, the death of Jesus Christ means... The price for our sin has been completely paid. The price for our sins has been completely paid. Please note that. The price for your sins, for my sins has been completely paid. In him we have redemption through his blood, the blood, talking about the debt, through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Ephesians chapter one verse seven. And Colossians chapter 1, verse 14. Now, this is the point I really want to make because I see many Christians, not, you know, across the world struggling with this particular concept. Listen very carefully. Because the price for your sins and my sins have been completely paid, God is not angry with you. Can I hear an amen from somebody, please? That is really good news. God. He's not angry with you. You know, you will be shocked to know how many Christians today are going around the place carrying guilt in their mind, in their heart. People, you know, we carry guilt all over. Some say, oh, something I did five years ago, something I did two years ago. Oh, this and that. We carry guilt, and the guilt is killing us. Condemnation is killing us. Religion, religion wants you to pay for your sins. And part of paying for your sins is for you to feel guilty and feel condemned to show you are sorry. And you, the sins you have repented of 25 years ago, you're still feeling sorry, still feeling condemned because the pride in man wants to be the one that will solve his own problem. That is why you go to a place, you want to buy something, somebody says, Oh, no, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it for you. He said, no, 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 no. No, no. I'll take care of it myself. He said, no, 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 no. I insist. I'll take care of it. He said, no, no. I, I've, I've solved that issue myself. I don't have a problem with that at all. If you ever come across me in any place and you say you will pay for me, I, I, will, not, I will not tell you twice. If you say, oh, pastor, don't worry. I say, praise God. Hallelujah. The Lord be with you. Please go ahead and pay. Why will I struggle with you? I have done. <laughs> You know, one day I go to Timothy's just by limo drive there, and um, as I go to the store, as I got to the place drive to, I was just going to pick up in the days when I used to take coffee. <laughs> I was just going to pick up the coffee, and the, the, the lady said, "He said, oh, you must be a very lucky man." I said, "What?" He said, it's be, "The price has been paid for you." I said, "Oh, praise God, bring my coffee, Amen." <laughs> <laughs> well, I was a mistake, not a mistake. I do I just, I didn't even ask her, who did the payment or not, I just, I just, please bring my coffee, thank you, Jesus. Why should I pay, at that time it was $1, $1.70 or $1.85 for that um, medium cup of coffee that I t- used to take, you know, regular coffee. I just, please bring, I put it in my car, drink my thing, thank you, Jesus. I'd, I have, if I meet somebody in the grocery store, sometimes you meet people and say, uh, you know, I just want to pay. He said, no, 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 no. no. I just want to say, I'm better than argue. I'm saying, like, what's wrong with all of you? Please, can you pay for me, please? If he doesn't want to receive it, I don't know what's wrong with all of them. I don't have any problem at all with that. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, do you have a problem with that? No. Absolutely. Absolutely, I have no problem. So if you meet me in the grocery store or anywhere, and you don't intend to pay, please don't say it. <laughs> don't say it and think that, oh, pastor, pastor will declare that like you will not feel. Please don't say it. Because once, before, as you are even trying to say, ah, Pastor, I'll just, amen, praise God, praise God. I'll back up straight away. The price has been paid. God is not angry with you. People are going around thinking God is angry with them, and they cannot pray. Sometimes things are happening in your life that is not consistent with the will of God, and you're feeling some pressure about certain things, and you are trusting God to bring about a change. And some people think, oh, my goodness, it's because God is angry with me. No, don't fall into that deception of the enemy. Can you say with me, God is not angry with me? <laughs> oh, please say with me, God is not angry with me. That's right, God is not angry with you. This sounds very simple, but you will be shocked at how many people, how many people have had their faith crippled by the fact that they think God is angry with them. You lose your job, something happened here, something happened there, things didn't work out in a a particular business, or something did not happen, or something seems to be delayed in your life, and suddenly you think God is angry with you. The Bible tells us in the book of Romans chapter 5, verse 1, therefore, having been justified by faith, that is by faith in Christ, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God. Verse 2 says, through whom also we have access by faith into His grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Wrath, anger used to loom over you and I before we give our lives to Christ. But once you are now in Christ, for there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. The Holy Spirit does not bring condemnation, He brings conviction. Then there's a big difference between the two. Condemnation brings guilt. Condemnation makes you feel bad. Condemnation robs you of something that is very critical called confidence. Your boldness in the place of prayer. Your boldness in the place of prayer. the Bible says, "Let us come, let us come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace in time of need." Condemnation makes you you cannot pray boldly. You don't have confidence to approach anything. And the Bible says, "Cast not away your confidence, for it has great recompense of reward." So you see. Today, Christians, they ought to have confidence. They, have to, they ought to walk with their shoulders straight and move with confidence and boldness. You see, Christians, they're cowering. They can't, they can't lift up their head because they're feeling condemned. Not you anymore in Jesus' name. Amen. The Holy Spirit brings conviction, okay? Brings conviction into your heart to say, ah, that thing you said, that thing you did, that thought you had, it's not right. You go back, Father, First John, Chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, it is just and faithful to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And this is, today I don't want to really go too much into this because I can get lost in that verse of Scripture alone. Because that verse of Scripture where it states that the sins of Christians will be forgiven, you will note that the word mercy is not there. And it's very critical because it's not forgiving your sins as an act of discretion. It's forgiving your sins as an act of justice. Because the price was duly paid. So if I run into you in the grocery store and you pay for me and I'm walking out, the person that owns the grocery store is not having mercy on me. He didn't have mercy on me. It's not mercy. <laughs> the person at the grocery store did not have mercy on me. He said, ah, they just have mercy on that man and he did not pay, just worked out. No. They, they let me go because the price was paid. God the Father releases you from the consequences of the sin because the price was paid. So when he says he's just there, he's saying that God is just not to you, but just to the work that Christ did. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Number two, The the death of Jesus demonstrates his love towards us. Okay, now you say, oh, Pastor, I already know that. Okay, fine. But you need to understand this. The love of God, oh, and I'm preaching a lot about this in Ignite Church. You can join us online if you're not a young adult today. I'm talking about the love of God. The love of God is unbending and unending. The love of God is unbending and unending. It's time Christians wake up to the fact that God is committed to you more than you are committed to yourself as a Christian, God's love is unbending. You know, people today, they say, they say things like, oh, I don't even know if God loves me anymore. Do you see, do you know how many times the children of Israel were wayward? I mean, some of the things we have done in our days, I mean, we have invented sin in this generation. You no, know, we have invented sin. But the truth is that the children of Israel, ah, they tried. God went after them over and over again. You know, do you know how bad if he was you? Well, if it was me. I mean, I know you're more patient than me. But imagine if you, if you, if you give somebody, you release somebody from slavery, you give them gold and silver. You, you are not obliged to do that. Releasing from slavery alone is a big deal. True? You don't give them gold. Gold. Gold that slaves don't see. Gold. They came out of the wilderness. They now mold the gold into the image of your enemy. They're not dancing around it. How will you feel? He's wanting to take the gold and throw it away in the Red Sea. You can say, ah, wasteage. You don't value it. He's another thing to use it to create an image for your enemy of your enemy and be dancing around it. You'll be so angry. But guess what? If, for, right, right there and there, for, I won't even take any... Right there and there, everybody's wiped out straight. <laughs> but you know what God did? He still left these people. Hey. God left these people over and over again. The Bible says they grieved him over and over and over again. He still brought them to the promised land. And still he was still loving them. Still loving them. Still loving them. Still loving them. them. Because his love is unbending. His love is not like our love. It's not like your love that you have for your children. You know, sometimes we use it. What we want to explain, we say, the same way you love your children. It's not the same way. The Bible says if we've been evil. That's what the Bible says. It's not like what the Bible says. He said, if we've been evil, know how to give good gifts. That means our good gifts is not from our nature. It's contrary to our nature. He said, if we've been evil, know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will your heavenly father give you the Holy Ghost when you ask of him? So, but the point there is that he said, if we've been evil. So, the the love you have for your children is good, it's great, it's awesome, it's parental and awesome, and, you know, being Christian also, because we have agape love also in our heart. Okay. But, you know, your children will offend you. Maybe you promise them, I'm going to do this for you, I'm going to do that for you. Then they do something that you don't like, and they're asking you. they are even afraid to ask you when you look at your face. Your face is so strong, you they can't even, they just want to watch basketball on TV, that's all. But they, they can't ask you anymore. They're walking around the whole house, you know, going near the wall. They can't, you know, they're being careful about every single thing because you're not saying anything, but your presence inside the house, you, your mood has changed. It has infected the whole atmosphere, you know? The last after about one, one, one hour, they said, "Mommy, I'm going to bed." God is not like that. God is not like that. God is not like that. and the reason why God is not like that is that he has an advantage, He has something that we don't have. He has in nature. That nature is omniscience. Omniscience means He knows everything. God has no future. He has no future and he has no past. So God knows everything in the past the present and the future is the same to God. So he knows everything about you that you will do tomorrow. He knows what you are going to do in 2035. But still he looks at everything you are going to do then and he says I'm still going to bless you today. So he's not caught unaware in 10 years time when something happens. It's not it's not like ah and I bless this person no. He knows what you're going to do, but he still decided to bless you today. So, for once you see his decision to bless you today, know that his love is unending. His love is unbending. Friends, listen to me. God is not angry with you. Can you say that with me again? God is not angry with me. God loves you more than you will ever know. He loves you and, my, you and I more than we will ever know. More than we will ever be able to comprehend. Because there is nothing in this three-dimensional world that we can use to compare the love of God. God's love is not sentimental. God loves. God's love is a free, is a steadfast choice that He made. It is not a sentimental love. It's not emotional. It's a steadfast choice He made in, in, in eternity, and said, "I'm going to love this girl. I'm going to love this boy. I'm going to love this person," and He has made up His mind. You know, you know. Think about it. God said that the seed. Of the woman, Jesus Christ, the seed, not seeds, the seed of the woman. Zero come, you know, the Messianic line, zero come through the line of Abraham, and he came through the line of, you know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Jacob gave birth to 12 sons, and Judah. The Bible says that Judah, out of Judah, shall the setter shall come, you know, and all of that, you know, and it shall rule until Shiloh comes. A prophecy about Jesus. Now, Jesus was going to become from the tribe of Judah. Out of the tribe of Judah, where is he going to be? Then we get all the way to the line of Obed, and Obed into Jesse, and Jesse into David. It became David, eight boys, but they picked David, the eighth one. So it became David. Now here, so it's going to come to David. All right, praise God. So David's on the throne. He became the king that, that God desired, that really was showing forth the things of God, praising God and all of that. Then David got into issues, adultery, then he committed murder. Definitely, you and I, up to this day, we're still judging David. You and I will have said, That's it. That's it. Kill that plan. Please, let's look at other brothers of David, uh, uh, Shemaiah and all Eliab and all of them. Let's walk to them. But you know what God did? He continued in the plan. He continued. David suffered, don't get me wrong. David suffered his consequences, serious consequences. He lost, his, he lost that son. He lost all that sons. He had a messed up family, all of that. But still, between um, um, David and Bathsheba came Solomon. And that line continued from Solomon again. Solomon to Rehoboam and went on and on, Jehoshaphat, Hezekiah, and on and on and on until we got to the, the lineage of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ came so that to let you know that he's not afraid to be called the son of David, he was still called the son of of David. If it was you and I, that plan is changed. But God's love is unbending. 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 Religion doesn't like this because religion doesn't want man to lift up their head. Religion doesn't like confident people. Religion likes people that are always cowering, people that are never sure. Why? Because it is the advantage of religious leaders. That is why in some countries, the one thing they never allow uh, people to do is to be educated. You look at Afghanistan. All right, you want to oppress women. But the best way to oppress them that, that they're doing is to make sure they're not educated. Because we are not educated, then you're not empowered. When you're not empowered, you, your husband is your God. Okay, what else will you do? Take away education from them, that's the end. They don't like competent people. You look at some countries, the first place that runs down and breaks down is the educational sector. Once it's destroyed, the worst will rule the rest. But when you start finding educated people that can ask questions, They can say, "If all is well with me, why am I like this?" They can ask questions. That why do you seek leadership position when you cannot secure this and that? Is you know you don't even need to know the Bible that if you are not faithful in a little, you cannot be faithful. That means you are not faithful in much. You don't even need to know that if you are if you are failed as a class captain in a class, why should we make you the school prefect? Let me stay with my slides. But know that the love of God is unbending, is unending. In John chapter 13 verse 1, he loved his own, he loved them to the very end. Oh, somebody say, God loves me. Oh, say to yourself, God loves me. Don't worry about the person to your right or to your left. Just say to yourself, God loves me. Oh, if I were you, I would say that again, God loves me. Satan doesn't like the sound of that, but God loves you. Say it with me again, God loves me. For the last time, shout it out, God loves me. That's right. He loves you. He loves you. Satan doesn't like you saying that. But God loves you. He loves you. It's because he loves you. That's why he's bringing about miracles signs and wonders in our lives. He loves you. He loves you. So what is the meaning of the resurrection? Let's look at a couple of things. Resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the proof that Jesus Christ is who he claims to be. The son of God. Son of God. Jesus Christ is not just a prophet. Though he walked in the office of a prophet when he came as a man. Jesus Christ is not just a rabbi. Yes, he was a teacher in the culture, in the in the in the in the traditions, in the best of the traditions of the Jews. Yes, it was. Jesus Christ is not just a leader, of course he's the leader of all leaders. Yes, Jesus Christ was not just somebody that had a cause, a cause, you know, to run with the purpose, a mission. He wasn't just a revolutionary, he was in all of, all of those things. But Jesus Christ is the son of God. And the proof of that is Romans chapter 1, verse 4. Romans chapter 1, verse 4. He was declared to be the Son of God by the resurrection from the dead. That's it. Every other great leader that we have ever known or seen, political leader, military leaders like Alexander the Great, and so on and so forth, they are in the grave. Jesus is risen, he's alive. And the proof of Tosella, this is who he says he is, is the resurrection from the dead. That's the first thing you need to know about this resurrection, is the proof that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. So that means whatever you, you read in Scripture about Jesus, that he said a lot of that. Please take it very seriously because that is God speaking to you. Number two, what's the meaning of the resurrection? The resurrection shows you and I that Death no longer has the last word. Death no longer has the last word. Jesus conquered death for us. So we're no longer afraid of it. Listen, 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 friends. Death does not, does not have the last word anymore. Jesus rose triumphantly, and because he lives, we shall live also. Now I know that maybe, particularly during this COVID-19, Many of us know one person or the other, or family members, or people that are our own family members, that have transitioned to glory during this period. And without a shadow of doubt, we've all sat there when we've had a very a close one, some closer than others, admittedly, but when we have a very close one, they'll have transitioned to glory. It's extremely painful, very, very, very painful emotionally distressing. You, just, you are distraught. You are broken to pieces. Friends, you have to, you have to believe this. As the pastor of a few days now, I've, I've, I've been in this environment for a while. And I've experienced it personally when my mom passed on. It was a, extremely tough for me. Very, very tough for me. But, but you see, but what we have to comfort ourselves to notice is, please listen carefully, death did not have the last word on those family members. Can I hear an email from somebody? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50 to 55. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50 to 55. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet... For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal, come on now somebody, must put on immortality. Keep going. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death. He's swallowed up in victory. Come on now. We cannot make fun of it. Oh death, where's your sting? And oh hate it, where's your victory? Somebody give him a shout in the house. <laughs> your loved ones are in heaven. The body they used while here on earth is here on earth. But the real person is in heaven. They are not, you know, someone say, is my love not just floating in the sky? That's what you see in the movies. They're not floating. They have another body. That's what the Bible calls their immortality, incorruptible. It's a body that is not subject to any force. No disease, no sickness, no crying, no pain. It's not subject to all of that. It's called immortality. They put on incorruption. They have another body. That body is the same kind of body when Jesus resurrected. That's the body that went through doors. Without knocking. That's the same body that they have. And they're walking in heaven. When you get to heaven, you will recognize them. You will, you will recognize them. You will recognize them. Why somebody says Is that scriptural very, very Lazarus that was the beggar in front of the house of the rich man, recognized the rich man in heaven. You will recognize them. They're there. They're there. So please let's have that hope. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 to 17. First Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13 to 17. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13-17. I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who are falling asleep. That means those who are Christians that are dead. So the Bible calls Christians that are dead, it calls them falling asleep. That's the scriptural way to describe it. Because when you're falling asleep, somebody can come and wake you up. Is that not true? Yeah. He says, so they're falling asleep. Concerning those who are falling lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Keep going, please. For... If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus Christ. Okay? For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself, Jesus Christ, in the second coming, will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of an archangel angel, and with a trumpet of God and the dead in Christ, come on somebody now, will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together. That's the rapture now. Caught up together with them in the clouds to meet with the Lord in the air. This is a very interesting part. And thus, we shall always be with the Lord. What a day will it be. What a day. First Corinthians 15, verse 19 says, if in this world only we have hope, we have all men the most miserable. Christianity does not end here. Life does not end here. Today we have many people that say that after this world, and that's why many people they feel they're not accountable. Somebody is the president of a particular country, feels that they have power, they, they belong to the they're a permanent member of the Security Council of the United Nations, so they can veto any particular bill. They believe that they have the highest stockpile of nuclear weapons in the whole world, so they feel untouchable. They feel they've dominated their whole country, you know, put fear everywhere, control the messaging in the country, and feel they're unaccountable. And now, because of that, they can go into another country, destroy things, kill people, rape people, do all kinds of things, commit all kinds of things. And what are you going to do? What are you going to do to me? Because people feel unaccountable. They've forgotten. They don't know yet. But they will find out shortly, suddenly that Hebrews 9, verse 27 is the same. For it is, it is true. For it is appointed unto man once to die. And after that judgment. And we are going to, all Every one of us is going to give an account. And they're going to stand before him. And when they look at his face, it's not going to be the same person that they saw. They the same way they saw him when he came the first time. When they look at his face, it's not going to be the lamb. It's going to be the lion sitting upon the throne of judgment. And calling forth all the things that they have ever done. They will have to give an account, and there's no way you can run. There's no propaganda. There's no lie you can tell. There's nothing you can tell. For you are going to be. Everything will be laid bare before Him, who sees everything. There's going to be an account. And well, because we know this, then, because we know this, then we fear. We we live our lives in the way that pleases God. So, friends, death is not the end. Death is not the end. So that's why we live our life. We know. We know for sure, our loved ones are going to rise. The resurrection of Jesus, what does it mean? Number three, it means the assurance of our victory over Satan and his kingdom. The assurance of your victory and my victory over Satan and his kingdom. Friends, Satan is a defeated foe. Satan and all of his agents, witches, wizards, occultic people, you know, and all of those people, every one of them, People that use divination, sorcery—they are all defeated. Forward, relative to a Christian. Say amen, please. Amen. Say another amen, please. Amen. The world today have so Satan has so gripped the world. Of course, He's the prince of the ruler of the air, power of the air, the god of this world. Use many things. So put fear in Christians so much that Christians don't even, we don't even know what we have. Christians are afraid of everything around us. And they have they have um, um, they have things to show, trophies to show that Satan is, is such, so powerful that they're not sure that Christ can deal with it. So, in our mind we think it's a talk of war. Talk of war. We're pulling it. Sometimes Jesus wins. Sometimes they pull Jesus and his church. Jesus loses. That's not true. Friends, listen to me very carefully. There's no place where the creator will have, will have anything to do with fighting with his creator, creation. Jesus didn't fight with him. The Bible says, listen very carefully. Can I, can I do I have some time? Can I say some stories to you? The Bible tells us, Jesus said, I saw him fall like lightning. This is how I fought him. Luke chapter 10, verse 17, it says, I saw Satan fall like lightning, okay? Verse, yeah, verse 18 rather, pardon me. I saw Satan fall like lightning. I wish you would allow me to preach. Can I preach a bit? Yeah. Listen to me. First Corinthians of the 2, from verse 6 to 8. We speak wisdom among those who are mature, not the wisdom of this age, not of the rulers of this age, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. The hidden wisdom of God, which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified. Had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. What does all of that mean? Can I explain to you for a minute? Listen carefully. When Jesus came... Here physically, and it was in the synagogue. You know, casting out devils. The devils will always say, as you read in your Bible, they will always say things like, "We know who you are. You are the Son of God." Jesus would say, "Be quiet. Get out of him." The demons will always say that because the demons, because the spirits, right? They could they could recognize that this is the second person of the Trinity. This is the Son of God. Okay, Mark one twenty-five is just an example of that, but there were many other instances. Okay, in Scripture. Now listen very carefully. So Jesus came, Satan tempted him, you know, he conquered the temptations, he did not fall into the temptation, the same temptation, exactly the same temptation that he brought to the first Adam, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes first, look unto this fruit, okay, it's pleasant when you say the lust of the flesh, it looks like it's good to eat it, the pride of life, when I eat that particular fruit, then I will be like God, okay, that those three temptations he brought to Jesus also. Command this stone to become bread. See? Lost of the flesh. Lost of the eyes. He took him to the mountain, top of the mountain. Showed him all the kingdoms of this world and told him, you know, worship me. Lost of the eyes. Jesus said, no, no, no. Then he took him to the top of the mountain and said, jump down. When he jumped down, after all, the Bible says you will give his angels, to who are you? Pride of life. So when he jumps down, he can say, hi, you see, I'm the son of God. Jesus said, no. It is written. It is written. It is written. It's written. Then when Satan could not get him, are you following now? Are you following this story? He conquered all these temptations. But all this, my was saying, all right, fair enough. All I need to do is to make sure I arrange that he doesn't live here, he doesn't stay here. He didn't understand the plan of God. He said, I want to just make sure that this Jesus exists this stage. He's giving us too much trouble. He got to go. He got to go. Let's just orchestrate for him to go. He did not know that what he was planning was in alignment with what God has planned. Because the Bible tells us very clearly in Revelation chapter 13 verse 8 that the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, has been slain from the foundation of the world. So, so Satan was planning all of that. And Satan's biggest mistake, can I speak to you if you may? Because Satan is always making the mistake, same mistake till this moment. Satan's biggest mistake was that he thought, because Jesus came, John chapter 8 verse 14, Jesus came from heaven. He came down from heaven. Is that true? John 8, I know where I came from. Okay, verse 23. 23, 23, quickly. Verse 23. John 8, 23. All right, he said to them, you are from Binet, I am from above. He came from heaven. They knew he came from heaven. Guess what they thought, Satan thought, that if he kills Jesus, Jesus is going back to heaven. Because he came from heaven, right? And if you have no sin, then you go back to heaven. What I'm about to share with you are, you, should, you better understand this thing now. Okay? It's very important. Try your best, okay? Do everything you can do. Speak in tongues. <laughs> because this is, these are the things that gives people like us confidence. You need to understand this mystery. If you have no sin, you go to heaven. Is that all right? Yeah. Because without holiness, nobody will see God. So Jesus came, he had no sin. So Satan is saying, Oh, we just need to don't worry, don't worry. Just telling the demons, don't worry, don't worry. Just let him die. Just make, orchestrate, let him let them kill him. Once he's dead, he go back to heaven. And we will be free. Then we can continue doing what we have to do. So, because he thought the coming of Jesus was just like a temporary interruption in his own affairs. So Jesus came. He was interrupting his affairs, interrupting his affairs, casting out demons, casting out demons, and he couldn't touch Jesus. Jesus was without sin, so he said, don't worry, just leave him, leave him. Jesus did all he was going to do. Then, Jesus died. And Satan was happy, celebrating in hell. You know, that with all the principalities and powers, that, hey, we finally got him, we finally killed him. He's gone now. Ha! Our problem is solved. Ha! Oof. That was a tough 33 years. My God. That was tough. The next thing they saw, they saw Jesus in hell. This is, that's why the Bible calls it a mystery. Jesus did not go to heaven. He went to hell when he died. So they were shocked. What? What is it? You had no sin. What are you doing here? Because they could not see that when he was on the cross, he became sin. He, who, he made him who had no sin, Second Corinthians five twenty one, to become sin. He became sin for us. That's why he said, my, my father, my father, why have you forsaken me? Because his eyes are too pure to behold evil. Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 13. I'm combining about 50 to 60 scriptures for you right now. He went to hell. And when he got to hell, Satan was shocked. What are you doing here? Then Satan automatically thought, okay, if you say now, he became sin. Okay, he's sin. He's here now. Then we hold him down here. Because look at all the other people we fell down here. We fell down this one. We fell down this one. We fell down this one. fell down. This one. Now that he became sick, he, he, he's made a mistake. He's now in our Now he will be. We thought he was just going to go to heaven and leave us. But now he's here. We have captured him. He's still there. First day, he was there. Second day, he was there. Satan was in. <laughs> I didn't tell you guys to realize I had my plan. Satan was boasting. You know, he's proudful. I have my plan. I have my plan. On the third day, Hell started rocking. 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 rocking. The power of resurrection came into the place and raised Jesus. The principalities and powers were conquered. And Jesus went straight to Satan and said, Give me the key. Give me the key. Give me the key. Give me the key. Bring that key. Bring that key. And Satan was looking right in his own home, home base In front of his principalities and powers And the Bible now says in Hebrews 2.14 he, he had destroyed he Who had the power of them So Jesus went to him, destroyed him And took the key from him Now rose triumphantly, came back picked up his body from the grave yeah. Hallelujah Now stood In that way the disciples had said to them He said, all authority in heaven And on that has not been given to me I have the key now I have the key. Don't fear that anymore. I have the key now. I've gone to hell for you so you don't have to go there anymore. I've defeated Satan for you. You don't have to fight him. You have to enforce the victory. I've put him down. I've stripped him of his power. I've humiliated him. Come am going to katayaba. He now rose triumphantly. Friends, Satan is a defeated foe. Christ rose triumphantly. The power of resurrection shook hell and brought Christ back, and that power of resurrection is available to you today. Remain standing on your feet. That's why Paul the Apostle says, that let me know him and the power of his resurrection. There are seven classes of power in heaven and on Earth, but today I'm not talking about that the highest level is the resurrection power. It's the resurrection power. Christ rose from the dead. The key is not with Satan anymore. Don't be afraid of him. The key is not with him. Right now what he has against Christians is wiles, deceptions, and all of that against Christians. He has power against not unbelievers because God told him, told man, dust you are, dust you shall return, and now told the serpent. In Genesis chapter 3, he said to told the serpent, he said, You will eat the dust all days of your life. So the dust, the serpent has a mandate to eat the, as much dust as he wants to eat, of which man. But when you gave your life to Christ, whatever is born of the flesh is flesh. Whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. So you are not just dust matter, you are spirit. That's, the that's a, that's spirit. that's a difference. That's a spirit. There's a difference. There's a big difference. That is why, listen to me, my brothers and my sisters, please remain standing. That is why, no matter where you are today, if you are down, you lost your business, you lost your marriage, you lost a child in miscarriage, you lost some part of your body, health wise, and so on and so forth, you can say like Micah said in Micah 7, 8, do not rejoice over me, my enemies, for when I fall, I shall arise. Oh my God, I wish I was in a Pentecostal church. When I fall, I shall arrive. When I fall, I shall arrive. When I fall, I shall arrive. Come on, when I fall, I shall arrive. That's why you can say, like it was written in the book of Job, there is hope for a tree when it is cut down. Friends, listen to me, as a Christian, The event of failure or disappointment is not the final story. No matter what is happening in your life today, that's not what the script says. The script says at the end of the day, there is joy of resurrection. I look at people today and I'm saying to you, you will rise again. You will rise again. You will rise again. You will rise again. again. That's why with all this pandemic, when people were saying that, oh, churches are closing down, the church is going down, they don't understand what is going on. They don't understand the body of Christ. Some people were writing the obituary of the church and saying that the church, they don't understand that you will rise again. Some of us during this pandemic, we have lost a lot of opportunities, lost some financial, you you know, opportunities here and there, lost some finances and so on and so forth. Some of you have been in some investments that did not work out. Please don't blame yourself. Don't condemn yourself. God is not angry with you. Just understand this. You will rise. Oh, somebody say it with me, I will rise again. Oh, say it like I will rise again. If you really believe it, shout it out, I will rise again. I like you to face two or three people and tell them what they're going to do. I will rise again. I will rise again i will rise again don't make fun of me don't rejoice against me don't look at me where i am today because i'm going to rise again this is not the blast of me that you will see i'm going to rise again don't write me off don't write me off i'm going to rise again i'm going to rise again in this world people are too weak to write us off they look at you and they're you off. You go for an interview. First one didn't work out. Second one didn't work out. And third one didn't work out. And people are already—they're already gossiping around you. I don't know. I don't know if you can ever make it. I don't know if you can ever make it. Who told you I can make it? You are not my God. You didn't create me. You didn't write the script. I know. I will write. There are people that are there now, today maybe you have a loved one that is sick, and medical science have given up on them, up on them, them giving up on them. Telling them that they would, you know, basically giving up on them. I just took a photograph today with a young, one of my young daughters. The five months, she was five months then, but she's what, nine months or so now, because this was in December, that was being fed with NG 2 parents. I just took a photograph with the outside now, the parents' brothers' way. She's in church today. In the testimony that the mother wrote, the the medical system in this country had given up on that girl to go and die. But she's not. She rose again. The power of resurrection raised her from where she was. Please, friends, don't give up on your children. Don't give up on yourself. Don't give up on your family. Because anybody you look at today that looks like they will not make it, just be rest assured they will rise oh my god i wish somebody was in this house today they will rise again i'm going to rise again oh i'm gonna rise again i will rise again no matter what is happening around me i know i will rise the works of your hands might have been brought down attacked by the enemy some things might not have been moving around right now in your life you might be waiting on God for marriage and all of that it looks like people are just going by you going by you nothing is working and you begin to doubt yourself you're having self-doubt you're doubting your worth. you're thinking to yourself am I not beautiful why come nobody's coming to me what's going on with me something wrong with me you are talking to people talking to people please understand understand this I'm speaking to you as somebody that knows not somebody that is guessing. Listen very carefully. Before this year is over, you will rise again. In the three-day fast that we had, we were studying 2 Kings chapter two, Second Kings from chapter 2 to 7, right? In chapter 6, there was the story of that man that the axed fell into the water. The man went to, he knew where to go. He went to Elisha. He said, alas, master, I'm living on borrowed time. I'm living on borrowed time. And the master, the master did not guess. He did not guess. He didn't say, ah, you two, why were you? Ah, why come your other people's accent is not falling? And with your own. Where, which family do you come from? No, 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 no. Are you still with me? He didn't ask him. He didn't ask him. Not once. He didn't blame him. Church, the Bible, he didn't say to him, what kind of a man are you? Huh? What if I was not here? No blame. He just said, where did it fall? Where did it? That's it. Where did it fall? In other words, what do you want me to raise up for you? Because we're about to pray now. What do you want me to raise up for you? And he told him, said, sir, 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 it's not that like the man, he was, was panicking. It wasn't that he, even, he was even able to specifically point to the place. He just said, uh, sir. That That's why sometimes when we pray, some people say, your prayer has to be exactly specific. No. No. Your father knows the things you have need of before so you ask him. It's not, all of these things are just technicalities. God is not a technical director. He's a father. If, if, my, if, my, if my son comes to me and says that, uh, I want to buy iPhone 25. Will and I say, okay, so you don't even know that there's no iPhone 25. I'm not buying for you anymore. No. I'll tell him now, son. No, 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 son. There's no iPhone 25 here, but when that one comes, out, I'll buy one for you too. Let's go and get the latest. Because I'm not his technical director. I'm his father. As a father, you don't bother yourself about those nitty-gritty things. You know what the person has need of. He like, said, where is it? He said, God the stick. Representing the cross. Threw it in the place. And the cross went down. Never came up. But the acted substitution started floating. Substitution happened. Started floating. The cross went down. Do you know if it's After three days, in the wilderness, they were thirsty. Then they got to a body of water. Ah, thank God finally. Oh God. Then they took it up, Brought out, bring it. Take the water. Put it in the mouth. The truth out, bitter water, Mara. Ah, they started complaining. The Moses said, God, what should I do? God said, The cross. He took a tree, cut it, threw it in the water, and the bitter situation, they touched it again. It became sweet. The power of the cross. The power of the cross has been applied this morning to bitter situations and is changing every bitter situation in your life into a sweet testimony. A sweet testimony, a sweet testimony, a sweet testimony, a sweet testimony. The most powerful thing that happened with Jesus, one of the things that happened was that he taught us how to do it. In Mark 9 verse 31, before he got to the cross, he was saying it with his mouth, I will rise again. It's important what you say with your mouth. Don't say this is my end. Don't say I can't make it. I don't even know if you'll ever walk out. No way. You can never hear me say anything like that. Today is the best day of the rest of my life. I keep going. I keep going. I keep going. It's working. So that's me, Alpha, how things now. You know, with church these days, how things. Oh, these days it's getting better. For it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord shall be established on top of the mountains. These days, I'm not confessing my situation. I'm confessing the Scripture. My circumstances notwithstanding, Jesus said, "I will rise again." They will kill me. I will rise again. It's never, then, sir, master, it's never happened before. You don't worry about it. It's about to happen now. So everything has the first time it will happen. Everything has the first time it will happen. Listen to me. First time testimonies are happening in your life. Yeah. They might tell you nobody. it has never happened before. Nobody ever survived that. Nobody ever come out of that situation. But you will come out of it. You will come out of it. Let me hear somebody shout. I will rise again. Oh, I need somebody to shout. I will rise again. Everyone wants to hear you. I will rise again. My God, my God, I will rise again. You need to know that. Don't look at the situation and write yourself off. Stop that. Don't write yourself off. I've been in dark places, friends. I know what I'm talking about. This is not theory. I've been in places whereby the the probability, probability weighed more on the side that I will never rise again. But he told me, Psalm 37 verse 37, you have a wonderful future with a happy ending. And I kept on saying it. I kept on saying it. I kept on saying it. Even in the dark tunnel, I was kept on saying it. I kept on saying it. Just like Jesus was in hell. He kept on saying it. He kept on saying it. Then the resurrection pow, came and raised me from where I was. Come on, shout one more time. I will rise again. Oh, say it again. I will rise again. Get the devil mad. Say it again. I will rise again your family will rise again, your business will rise again, your career will rise again, your health will rise again, your finances will rise again, your ministry will rise again, your churches will rise again, it will rise again, it will rise again. God said, I will give you a mouth and a wisdom, Luke 21, 15, that your adversaries cannot gainsay. Your mouth is one of the most powerful gifts that God gave you. Use it well. Don't use it against yourself. Use it well. I will rise again. I will rise again. When somebody asks you, how is it going? How ah, your business. Ah, I really feel for you. Don't let them feel pity for you. Say, no, no, no. Pity, you're not invalid to my party. Pity, you're not invalid to my party. No, you're not invalid to my party. I, don't, I'm not, I have no budget for you, pity. There's no pity party. No, no. I know I will rise again. Tell them, No, 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 don't worry, that one that has gone is gone What we're going to be building now is awesome Because I will rise The Jesus that you couldn't handle when he was here And you thought he was dead The Jesus of today now They can't even they access can't, they can't where, he, where he is He's now seated at the right hand of God the Father Why? Because you will rise Jonah was in the belly of the fish Three days and three nights And everybody wrote him off Everybody wrote Jonah off. They said, you see, this is what we keep on telling these people. You go to Nineveh. Which prophet in Israel has ever been sent to a Gentile nation? Before Jonah, none. None. So what kind, of, what kind of arrogance is that? This man said he had God. He didn't hear God. He didn't hear God. Jonah was in the belly of the whale. Of, of and you know, the you human know, beings have a way of interpreting the, your life circumstances when the symptoms seems are not going on well with you. When they see the whale, just boom, boom. I said, ah, it's, it's John Jonah. That whale is enjoying Jonah. He just beat him again. Meanwhile, Jonah was having a three-course meal inside the belly of the whale, relaxing, talking to God. There, he wasn't. He was praying inside the place, praying, giving thanks to God. Then the Bible said, when he came to the point, God said to the fish, commanded the fish." Jonah chapter two verse ten. Jump, fish, go and put him on the shore. Yes, sir. And the fish went, got to the shore, and put him there. And Jonah chapter three verse one. And God came to Judah and spoke to him a second time. Which means there's always a second time with God. A second time. And said, go to Nineveh." Friends, listen to me. The, your business has collapsed. is nothing compared to the one that God is about to raise again. That relationship that ended, that guy that went, just thank God that he went. It's nothing compared to the one that God is about to raise again. Please, you have to understand Judas, the son of Iscariot, was one of the 12 apostles that Jesus personally trained here on earth. Then Jesus lost him. And someone said, Ah, and Judas tried to, you know, he used to give him money. Ah, Judas, everywhere we went, he went with us. But Judas left and Paul came. Between Judas and Paul, which one will you choose? Uh-huh. You think it's a loss? It's not a loss, it's a seed. It's already lost. It's a seed. It's a seed. Count it as a seed that you put in the ground and stop complaining because you will put your hands together and give Jesus the biggest shout you can give him. You will rise again. You will rise again. You will rise again. You will rise again. Let's remain standing. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this precious children of yours. Today, Resurrection Day, the day when Jesus died, your heart says, Graves were open. Everybody's here today, Lord, that is facing a situation that seemingly, logically, naturally is hopeless. I pray today in the name of he that brought hope to us, Christ Jesus, the Son of the living God, that died and on the third day he rose triumphantly. renew our hope again for peter said we have been begotten to a living hope i pray then in his name today which is above every name that is respected in heaven on earth and under the earth that whatever area of your life today you are not proud of i decree you will rise again in your business you will rise again in your career you will rise again your health will rise again your children will rise again your joy will rise again your finances will rise again your peace will rise again your marriage will rise again every area of your life today that you might even have forgotten about you have written off today by the resurrection power of jesus christ i command you rise again every demonic spirit that is trying to hold you down I will not allow you to rise today by the power of resurrection I come against them in the name of Jesus and I command them to lose their grip upon you in Jesus name one more time I decree rise again in the name of Jesus Christ friends this is the good news listen very carefully this is the good news within the next 40 days you will have a landmark testimony in Jesus name believe it Believe it! Believe it! Believe it! When he rose from the dead for 40 days, he showed himself with infallible proofs to them. Acts of Apostles chapter 1 verse 3. I decree on his behalf today as a servant that within the next 40 days, you will have amazing testimonies in Jesus' name. Testimonies that cannot be greeted of. Testimonies that cannot be challenged. Testimonies that cannot be doubted. In the name of Jesus. In this very area today that you're looking at, that is giving you a little bit of slight sorrow here and there, I decree in that very area, within the next 40 days, you will have major things to celebrate. In the name of Jesus. Satan will not have the last laugh concerning you. Satan will not have the last laugh concerning your family. They will not have the last laugh concerning your children. In the name of Jesus Christ. Now somebody shout with me, I will rise again. Oh, if you know you will rise again, please open your mouth and declare with me I will rise again. Don't wait for me, declare it again. I will rise again. Shout it out I will rise again. Let God hear you, let the devil hear you, let the angels hear you, let Canada hear you, let creation hear you. I will rise again. I will rise again. I will rise again. Say three more times I will rise again. I know I will rise again. I will rise again. For the last time, open your mouth and shout it out. I will rise again. Now, if you know you will rise again, why don't you put those hands together and give him a shout of praise. Arise rise again. Please be seated. God bless you. You certainly will rise again. This is the end of the message. We are sure that you have been blessed. For more information, please visit our website at www.houseofpraise.ca. God bless you.